Welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. You are now listening to Black History is American History. I'm William Matthews. Hey, I'm Propaganda. I'm Nikki Black. And I'm Andre Henry. Today's moment in Black history, Emmett Till and Jim Crow. Emmett Lewis Till was born July 25th, 1941. He was a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the fact that his killers were acquitted drew attention to the long history of violent persecution of African-Americans in the United States. Till posthumously became an icon of the civil rights movement. Till was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. During summer vacation in August 1955, he was visiting relatives near money in the Mississippi Delta region. He spoke to a 21-year-old Carolyn Bryant, the white married proprietor of a small grocery store there. Although what happened at the store is a matter of dispute, Till was accused of flirting with or whistling at Bryant. In 1955, Bryant had testified that Till made physical and verbal advances. The jury did not hear Bryant's testimony due to the judge ruling it inadmissible. Decades later, Bryant disclosed that she had fabricated part of the testimony regarding her interaction with Till, specifically the portion where she accused Till of grabbing her waist and uttering obscenities. That part's not true, Bryant stated in a 2008 interview with historian Timothy Tyson. Till's interaction with Bryant, perhaps unwittingly, violated the strictures of conduct for an African-American male interacting with a white woman in the Jim Crow era South. Several nights after the incident in the store, Bryant's husband, Roy, and his half-brother, J.W. Milliam, were armed when they went to Till's great-uncle's house and abducted the boy. They took him away and beat and mutilated him before shooting him in the head and sinking his body in the Tallahatchie River. Three days later, Till's body was discovered and retrieved from the river. Till's body was returned to Chicago, where his mother insisted on a public funeral service with an open casket. The open coffin funeral held by Mammy Till Bradley exposed the world to more than her son Emmett Till's bloated, mutilated body. Her decision focused attention not only on U.S. racism and the barbarianism of lynching, but also on the limitations and vulnerabilities of American democracy. Tens of thousands attended his funeral or viewed his open casket and images of his mutilated body were published in Black-oriented magazines and newspapers rallying popular Black support and white sympathy across the U.S. Intense scrutiny was brought to bear on the lack of Black civil rights in Mississippi with newspapers around U.S. critical of the state. Although local newspapers and law enforcement officials initially decried the violence against Till and called for justice, they responded to national criticism by defending Mississippians, temporarily giving support to the killers. 
In September 1955, an all-white jury found Bryant and Milliam not guilty of Till's kidnapping and murder. Protected against double jeopardy, the two men publicly admitted in a 1956 interview with Look Magazine that they had killed Till. Till's murder was seen as a catalyst for the next phase of the civil rights movement. In December 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott began in Alabama and lasted more than a year, resulting eventually in a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that segregated buses were unconstitutional. According to historians, events surrounding Emmett Till's life and death continue to resonate. Some writers have suggested that almost every story about Mississippi returns to Till or the Delta region in which he died in some spiritual homing way. An Emmett Till Memorial Commission was established in the early 21st century. The Sumner County Courthouse was restored and includes the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. 51 sites in the Mississippi Delta are memorialized as associated with Till. So this event, this lynching, this murder, it can't be understated how catalytic it was to the civil rights movement, but but on a personal level to black people. It was yeah. almost in a in a strange way the founding murder. Or the 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 last murder that people were just they were done. All right, that's it. That's it was it. the Trayvon Martin of that's that what I was era. Say. It was. Yeah. Absolutely. Where the the idea that using that metaphor where police brutality is not new. You know what I'm saying? And like you know, street vigilance is not new. Just like lynching young black men for unchumped up charges and then facing an all white jury. It's not new. However, this one, this one stuck with us. Right. You know? And I think that was due in part to, well, like you said, it wasn't new mm -hmm. because Emmett Till's father had actually been lynched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people don't know. Mm -hmm. And so um, it wasn't a new thing. It was something that had happened to their actual family yeah and i think that when i when i read about emmett till when i read about his mother when i read it i always it resonates within me on a maternal level mm -hmm. uh, i'm so very attached to that particular historical event and that lynching yeah. her decision to have the casket open yeah. because she wanted them the world to see what they did to her baby yeah and you know those are the, her words too. Right? Those are her words. Yeah. And to the parallel with Trayvon Martin, I think yeah. a part of the reason why, I mean, we're very familiar with that family because they were so vocal. Yeah. They were out there. They were in the front yeah. and they would not rest until there was some sort of justice yeah. for their child. And they have not rested. Yeah. And that, that murder in that time, the way it was spread through newspapers was its own viral moment. Yeah. The way, like you mentioned, it went Trayvon Martin's death became yeah. a viral moment or, or, or Mike Brown's. Talk to me a little bit about the nature of Jim Crow and kind of where we were at here in the 50s. There, yeah, there's the background noise of that is like, yeah, you're not allowed to talk to white, white people. Like you're not allowed to address them directly. You're not allowed to look them in the eye. You don't belong in the store, you know, and and sort of the the idea of like him being from Chicago, visiting family down South where the Jim Crow was like, super active like he don't know these rules you know what i'm saying like he knows in the same way that we all know you know as far as like there's certain things you just can't say to certain people in certain places you know what i'm saying but just 
like you said, whether whatever those actions were at that moment um, are disputed, like what actually happened in the interaction between this little boy, you know what I mean, and this grown woman at the time, you know what I'm saying? Whatever those things are, the point is there are a set of laws that enforced segregation and said that the interactions between black people and white people are very controlled and they're very harshly enforced. And if the law doesn't enforce them, the neighborhood does, right? And the neighborhood is supported by the law, you know? Right, the neighborhood is yeah. along the mm-hmm. Neighbor- neighborhood. And yeah. also this protection of white womanhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that that was always weaponized against black men. Yeah. And the fact that this woman lied she lied and she got this little boy killed. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of white supremacy is based on like this, this ideology of the, you know, that white women need to be protected and that white women are, you know, pure and innocent to be placed on a pedestal. And the black monster is going to come and, and rape and, and put his mm-hmm. black ass hands all, yeah. Over, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. over your supple white woman yeah. and just defile her. And, and so, you know, we've, we've, the suffrage movement has made cameos in a lot of our conversations yeah. in a lot of our, our black history uh, kind of recaps. And that was a, a part of the concern, though, like that white feminism, as it is known today, mm-hmm. stands behind white supremacy. It uses it as a shield. It wants to smash the patriarchy until until, you know, a big, scary black man or yeah. a little black boy whistles at you and then you want to call your dad. You want yeah. to call your brothers Ooh. to come and get him. If he did that at all. If um, he did it at yeah. all. Right. Because she does say later on, yeah. you know, I mean, decades later that yeah. she lied. Yeah. He This moment like codifies in, in a sort of archetypical way, speaking very candid, like my biggest fear mm. is mm. at touring, even through like white mm. evangelical spaces, some little white girl saying something about my presence you mm. know what i'm saying and being like and you're done yeah that's real you know? my partner says that too yeah. he says that it's like his biggest fear it's, it's your biggest fear as a black man yeah this is something that a lot of white women don't understand this yeah. dynamic that we're talking about right here mm-hmm. last year i wrote a blog about the white evangelical friends and family that i had to kind of cut off because mm-hmm. of the whole moment that we're having in history and i mentioned that because i know these people really well like some of them i even called like father you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i was writing to them and I, I i was trying to make this analogy i said you're like i know that if your daughter came home because i know him and i know his daughter i know if, i know if your daughter came home and said that she'd been assaulted that you would believe her i know a lot of women are not believed by their family mm-hmm. you know but i was talking to this specific family and i got all these comments you know saying like this is why we need to understand inter- intersectionality and i'm like you're missing the politics yes that exists between myself as a black man and this white family yeah you know like from my vantage point what i have seen in the world is that regardless of how how they would respond in certain situations when it comes to the color line people act differently so yes Mm -hmm. white men will oppress white women but just like nikki said exactly just like nikki said like like that works differently when white women say you know this a black man Mm -hmm. you know it's like even last year when liam neeson heard that one of his friends had been had been uh assaulted and he's the first the first question he asked is what what color was he yeah you know like that's how that that's how that dynamic works i think it's worth saying too that this lynching 
really changed the tide of everything yeah and inspired many of the civil rights leaders and movements that we come to know that has now shaped american history mm-hmm. yeah once again it came off the body of a dead black man mm. thank you for listening to this episode of black history is american history <laughs>